Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here tonight. And way to go. Coming out in the dark and the cold. You, you all get double stars. This is little Sunday school badges all the way down. So well done. We started last week on a 13-week study of the book of Matthew. It's called King Jesus, but it primarily focuses on the miracles of Jesus in the book. Uh, really, really good stuff. So um, will you read with me the left-hand column? Uh, I've put this in parallel so that you can see how the synoptics tell the same story, add different details. So we're going to only read the left-hand. We'll reference the other two columns. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, wait, 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 wait. Did I just stutter? <laughs> Go to the end immediately. His leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Lord, we meet to, together in this room tonight, and our eyes are on you, and our desire is to know your gigantic heart, and to know who you are, and to walk in fellowship with you all of our days and into eternity. You are the Lord of all things. You are the exact representation of your Father. And so we honor you. We hunger for you. We want to be your children and your friends and growing up into maturity in those, both those things. So come, Spirit of the living God, fill our hearts and guide us into this uh, supernaturally written scripture so that we can know you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all three synoptic gospels tell this story. Uh, remember, synoptic means sin. S-Y-N in Greek means the same. Optic means to see. So synoptic means to basically see it from the same lens. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke basically see the life of Jesus from a Galilean perspective. Uh, John is the outlier. John tells a completely set of facts, a set of different stories. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar and pretty often tell the same stories. All that is to say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all believe, they all tell this story, and they all believe it is key to understanding Jesus. Uh, look this way. Remember that... They had a lot of stories that they didn't write. There were multiple stories that they chose not to include. Writing scripture was expensive. It was parchment paper. It was hard to do. So in the ancient world, you wrote only what you had to. I mean, so if you, if you wrote it down and three different authors write it, they are all telling you, pay attention here. This is a key story. This is, will help you understand the Savior. They tell it in similar terms and uh, different details, all three of them in these columns. It will help you later to just scan them and circle words that are unique to each of the columns. Um, let me give you 
let's see, uh, look in the middle of the middle column and sternly, circle sternly, because sternly, that is a word that only, only Mark will include. None of the, neither of the three others will write it that way. He wants you to know what a stern warning is. There's, there's a lot of those in there. This is called a parallel treatment of those synoptics. But all three of them also emphasize the same central idea, and that is the willingness of Christ to heal. The willingness of Christ to heal. That's what the leper says. He doesn't have any doubt that Jesus has power to heal. That is not his question. His question is, are you willing? Are you willing to heal me? Okay, step back just a second. Um, All this is happening in the second year of Christ's ministry, the year of popularity. Remember, his three-year ministry basically divides into a year of obscurity, those first years where he is very little known except to his disciples, then the year of popularity where things just explode, crowds are everywhere, and then the year of opposition, which is largely being drawn more and more into Jerusalem. Now, that's his public ministry. Those are the three years of his public ministry. And this is year two, mostly in Galilee. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 will kind of give you the setting here. Let's begin reading in 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Note the reference to the synagogues. We'll get back to that in a little while. Healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Uh, Large crowds, note they do not list in that general statement leprosy. Uh, Again, we'll get back to it. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So it is a year where he is healing often and in public, And crowds are gathering for exactly those reasons. Okay. Leprosy, however, was a disease for which there was no known cure. None. None. There was no cure. And if Leviticus tells a person what he should do when he is healed, and it does, strangely enough, Leviticus tells you what you should do, what kind of offering you should make if you get healed of leprosy, it was um, aspirational only. It stood as a prayer and as a hope in God because the only way to get healed from leprosy was a miracle. That's all they knew. Okay, So lepers represent a class of people for which there was no hope. Just see if you can just get that in your mind. The leprosy was a class of people for which society had lost hope. You just don't know what to do with them. Maybe in a way, it's how we feel about the hopeless chronic alcoholic on the street. He is um, 
spent all of his social capital borrowing from his family and his friends until everybody's finally just thrown up their hands with him and they don't know what to do with him, so he just ends up on the street. We just kind of lost hope for him. We don't, he's been to rehab, he's been to, we've tried so many things, and now he's just this hopeless, homeless alcoholic. Maybe a meth addict is a close in our, in our culture to that. Do you have anyone in your life that if you were honest, you basically have lost hope. You just don't really think there's any way for him to ever get better. You don't have to answer that. But So all the, I, the rabbis could do was isolate them. This is just a terribly depressing story. Remember, leprosy is a skin disease, but it's a disfiguring skin disease. So these are the people that you see in the movies that they're missing noses and they're missing lips. It's just, it just begins to disfigure and finally takes your life. Uh, by law, the rabbis kept them separate uh, with social distancing. Uh, kind of puts a new meaning to social distancing, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> allowed them to come to synagogue, interestingly enough. You could come to synagogue but they made you come in before everybody else got there and sit behind a wall and then wait till everybody else left and then you could leave. It was, they were very, very managed, uh, very tightly. Um, so it was as much social as it was medical. It was, um, it, it's, it's a lonely group of people. It's, just, it's, it's a very lonely group of people. Psychologically, um, weirder every day as lonely people they just get stranger and stranger because they don't have the normal feedback and encouragement that humans need over time do they begin to feel valueless yeah sure sure i mean it's almost inevitable do they begin to feel hopeless yes uh, do, do i begin to internalize my situation now it's about me nobody needs me i don't matter here um Maybe that's the psychological background where he says to Jesus, I don't, I don't really worry that you can. What I wonder is if you will. What I really want to know is, will you do this? Would you do something like this for somebody as valueless as me? So I asked you a moment ago if you know anybody for whom you have no hope. I'll ask you a different question. Uh, do you know anyone who has themselves lost a sense of hope of their own value or dignity? Uh, leprosy isn't the only way you get here. You can fail so long at life that you just begin to think, I'm in a different class. I, you know, you can hear, for God so loved the world, but somehow that just does not include you. It just doesn't, you just have the profound brokenness of your own self-esteem is, is the large player of your life. Okay. Willing, however, in Greek is a pretty important word. Um, it's got a very different tone than it usually carries in English. Uh, the word is thelo, T-H-E-L-O, thelo. And in English, if I am willing... The connotation, the, the, the mood of that word is I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm not closed. I'm, I've kind of, I, I would consider it. Willing is kind of a softer word in English. I'm, I'm willing. I, I'm willing to think about that. 
In Greek, thelo is more of a choice. Hear me. It's a decision that's already been reached. It is to will something, to will it, to decide it. Uh, so look at Ephesians 1. That will help you kind of get the mood of it used in Scripture. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. This is on the back page of your listening sheet. Uh, same word, same word. So all of a sudden you kind of catch the different mood there. This is something God has decided. He wills it. God's chosen this. And so it has this stronger feel to it. Um, Sometimes we spend too much time thinking about our own decisions. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't have a problem with that. But the more profitable consideration is what has God decided? Go with me. This vast person um, for whom all things are possible has created worlds with a word. I mean, you cannot get there in your mind, but you need to try. That vast person, what he has decided is what will happen. It's the only thing that really is certain. It's what he decides. He works all things after the counsel of his will. So in the, it's not in the English sense. The God's will is not what he hopes or what he wants. You hear people talk about what does God want or what does God desire? Those are false and weak pictures of this great God. The truer picture of God is what he decides, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's, that is how this is going to flow. He's like gravity in the world. You can dam it up for a few years, but you're not going to keep it from it's eventually going to flow down it just is it's the way that god's will works joe absolutely absolutely because it That's right. And it's real. He's real tonight, too. Um, so that you can kind of get the mood of this, go to 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, and show you just how this changes to know what that word is. It is this steady, strong decision of God. It is his, it's his will. It's what he wills. So let's read this long passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 in your Bible. <clears throat> Finally, then, brethren... We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. For this is the will, there it is, 
The thelo, this is the decision of God, your sanctification. That is, or in other words, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. So he says the Gentiles don't live this way, but that's because they don't know who God is. So obviously they're going to live in sexual immorality. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter because the here the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So that's just an illustration of how Paul uses this concept about this very strong will of God and how it would impact our lives. That The reason sexual immorality is that large word for sex before marriage, adulterous sex in marriage, homosexuality, uh, pornography, the use of your mind. And it's all of those things. And Paul says the reason you don't do that is because God has decided no. That is not how the human race is going to go. One of the things he he fought against the Canaanites when he judged them was just these very practices. And it's it's amazing to me how uh, Christians can go to church for so long and not hear this teaching that the reason we press back against this kind of lifestyle, I mean, we live in a day that every TV show you see, if a couple gets together, they're going to end up in bed. That's just the normal course. It's, it's, It's how we imagine life going. But where is the church to say that is not what God says about the use of sex? It's not how we do that. And so all that is to say when you, when you finally start saying that this is not what God wants or hopes or he, he wishes, that's not at all. This is what God has decided. This is not, this is how humans were created to be. It's a, it's a much more, uh, it's a stronger uh, uh, sense of that um, by the way you can also do that when you then say that our Lord would often say not my will but thy will so all the time that Jesus was thinking about the will of God he was doing these large conversations about what does this invisible God want what has he decided what are his it's his program. It's a, it's a huge, huge conversation that Christians need to be having. Okay, back to Matthew 8. Uh, the man is exploring then the different aspect of this subject. He, he is saying, is it your will that I get well? Will you help me? Have you decided to heal me? Um, not the question is power, the question is willingness. So watch me, everybody. Do you notice Jesus is 32? He's just amazing. And one of the reasons I believe the scripture is nobody could have written this. Nobody could have written this. Um, this 32-year-old man, rather than just giving him this answer that would have been rich in grace, absolutely phenomenally rich in grace, he adds to the impact by reaching out and touching this man, which is the way it was spread. It is the last thing that people were going to do 
touch the face of a leprous man. That's just not going to happen. I mean, so ancients who read that text, somebody in the room went, there, there, was just, there would have been a reaction. Somebody said, you got to be kidding me. This 32-year-old man reaches out and touches him. No fear of contagion, no untouchable class here. Um, he shatters the isolation. This man hasn't been hugged in probably years. He hasn't. Shatters the isolation, touches him, and he says, I have decided this. Somebody want to shout hallelujah? I mean, it is the dearest story. No wonder all three of these guys write this story. They want you to see this about Jesus. Now look over in column two. Column, let's see. No, column two, about six lines down, he is moved with compassion. And it's not plural, it is compassion. And that's unique to Mark. None of the other writers write that word. They don't say what the motive was or what was going on in Jesus' heart. Um, splagnizomai, sorry, splagnizomai is the Greek word for compassion. And it, the ancients thought the spleen, I don't even know where the spleen is, but the spleen was the seat of your violent emotions. Passionate love, passionate anger. You, you heard somebody say you, he vented his spleen. Or he, he, that's, so splagnizomai meant, it, literally, it kicked him in the gut. It kicked Jesus in the gut to see this man in his misery. And so he reaches out and touches him, and he, uh, because he was moved. Great people know things, but greater people feel things. If you, 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 don't, you don't want a Savior who can't feel your misery, who can't feel what you feel. And so he, it, it kicked him in the gut, and he reached out. So Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the exact representation of our Father's nature. So what you're about to do is what is your completely legitimate to do is to say that what Jesus wills is what the Father wills. So I'm about to, I'm about to do something with this. Jesus is God's essence, his choices. So with confidence we say tonight, God has decided to help you, to heal you. It is his will for you to get well. Right, now just think, think for a moment. I want you to appreciate what's being said here. He has decided that you're not going to stay sick all the time. At some point, you're going to get well. Anybody want to shout? What he's saying is about this eternally good God. He has decided, my brother. He has. You are going to get well. Uh, he's decided to give you forgiveness and fill you with new life to qualify you for heaven. He's decided to make you physically well eventually and the whole universe. I, I really am sorry where the preaching has 
come to in America because, and I'm not sure I'm fixing it, but I, I wish I could. Preaching ought to be the largest kind of language you ever heard. It ought to shape your heart to look at a horizon and say, are you hearing the God that's being described here? This is a God who is going to heal this world. It's not going to be broken forever and all the people in it. So um, now if you press this question as to timing, are you going to heal me now? He will also give you an answer, but that'll switch the subject. Now we're going to talk about miracles. Is it God's will to heal everyone now and of every physical malady? Is it God's will, has he decided that, to heal everyone? Now, there are large portions of our family, the Christian family, who believe the answer to that is yes. That if you had enough faith, God would heal you now. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and get that on the table. I don't believe that. I don't think that's the right answer. But it's still well to ask it because it will come up. Um, if you say to him, Are you, will you heal me now by miracle? The answer is less absolute in general, not always. Uh, go to Luke 15, 17. Not in your, on your page, but in your Bible. Luke, I don't want to take us too long tonight. Luke, I'm sorry, 5, not 15. Luke 5. One day, 17, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. It's a strange little statement, isn't it? Because actually when Jesus is there, the power is there. Because he always has the power to heal. But what Luke says is there are moments where in the larger purposes of God, miraculous healing is part of the plan. And that, this was one of those days. The power of God was present for healing um, indicates that that's not always true. Um, so I don't mean to be squirming. I don't mean to be squirming because I'm not. But even if he does not heal me now through a miracle, he still has decided that I will get well. Right? That's what's being taught here. This is a God who's not going to have any floating, hanging chads. There's not going to be any threads that are unfixed. When this universe is over, we'll all be healed or we will be gone. We're, that's the way he's going to fix this. And uh, as to the purpose of miracles, very often in biblical revelation, miracles cluster around those moments where new revelation is being communicated. Um, Moses, Abraham, um, the prophets, Jesus, the book of Acts. When, when there's new teaching being pressed out, very often the miracles then come around it to validate it and vindicate it, say, pay attention here. 
But remember, even Jesus grieved that people needed a miracle in order to believe. Because his issues never was, I don't want you to believe because of the miracles. I want you to believe because of the truth I'm telling you. But anyway, in, in, in God's wisdom, maybe miracles all, always cluster when he's pressing forward in Revelation, when the time is coming and the two witnesses show up. There'll be huge miracles showing up because I just believe that God uses miracles for his own purposes when it's his purpose to do that. So, Okay, number one, it's God's will for you to get well, to heal you. Number two, it is God's will to heal the church. We often skip this part. Uh, notice that Jesus tells the man sternly, says Mark, go back. Who's he supposed to talk to? The priest, <laughs> which just makes me laugh. You guys, Jesus has spent the last two years being dogged and criticized and threatened by those that's exact same religious establishment. They have not been his friend, and yet he is their friend. He wants the synagogue and the temple to benefit from this. He wants that priestly class to breathe again the presence of God's life. So, um, great study for you sometime. Um, watch Jesus in his life, how faithful he was to the synagogue. When, even when he went to the temple, he didn't destroy the temple. He cleansed it. He's not an iconoclast. People say all the time, God hates religion. And I say, well, I don't know. Even when it's dry and dead, there is this hope of Jesus to renew this religious institution that they could see the testimony of the real God. Now, obviously, they do have to, you know, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You do have to change and morph. I don't, I'm not arguing that he just loves religion the way it is. But there is this sense that religion has a value to him. This organized the, the teaching of the Torah, the, the festivals, the, the way that they would say the Shema, and the way they would teach children, all that mattered to Jesus. And he, all his life went to synagogue. People tell me, oh, I'm more into Jesus than the church. And I say, well, then you're neither. Because the real Jesus was at church all the time. He just, that's where he was, holding up those things. So anyway, I've probably said enough tonight about that. So he's a very religious man. And then third is God's will for all of us to come to him by faith. Watch me here. In many ways, the Bible uses faith as your healing. It's, it's faith as your healing. It's almost synonymous Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you well. And you're not sure if he's saying your faith was the cause of your physical wellness or once you get that straight, maybe you are well. It's almost like Abraham. Abraham believed God and what did God say? That's what it looks like to be righteous. That, that there's, it's not cause and effect. It really is. The way God looks at human life. When somebody looks up to heaven and says, I think you're trustworthy. I think you're telling the truth. And God says, 
well. It's a, that you, now, I, I will tell you, this guy flunks at least early. You read the Luke passage. Jesus tells him, do not tell anybody. Do not go tell the priest. And he doesn't walk out of that room before he's telling everybody. And it causes great consternation for Jesus because now the crowds are even worse. He just doesn't even know. He can't even walk around. There's so many crowds. And so at least on the first blush, this guy's not doing very well at trusting him and doing what, what he tells him. Uh, hopefully he gets better at that uh, along along. Um, I, I just want to say, um, go to Mark 6. Mark 6. Mark 6, 5, he's in his hometown, uh, verse 5, he could do, could do no miracle there, parenthesis, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, close parenthesis, that's mine, and he wondered at their unbelief, he just, he just wondered, what is it about the human heart, now honestly, think with me for a second. What is it about the human heart that with this kind of urging, I would still trust me and my wisdom? I would still trust you and your wisdom? I'd still trust culture? I'd trust Cardi B and, you know, Beyonce? Why in the world? I do think that God goes, really? You're looking to those sports stars? And you're setting your minds and your agenda based on what this crazy world thinks, and yet here I am. So he, he does wonder, just wonder at their unbelief. Now, all of this, you, you know this to be true, happened in about, I think, about a minute and a half of time. Maybe 90 seconds. Maybe. You know how that is. It's just blur, 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 and then boom, you see it. That's what happened. This man said, if you're willing, I, I know you could do this. And Jesus reached out and touched his face. He said, I am willing. And he healed him, and he said, now don't you tell this to anybody. Go tell the priest. It's about a minute and a half, but it's just like laser light of insight into this great God. Anybody think that's amazing? I think that's amazing. Okay, uh, comments or questions around the table because I'm going to set you back to your tables to talk. But anything you want to say? Yes, back here.